Hey, what's up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, and this is the Centered from Reality Podcast. It's a nice, uh, I guess you could say rainy Friday here in Chicago. Uh, I'm a little bit bummed because I was trying to get a run in before I recorded this, but I've realized I like running in the rain for maybe the first 10 minutes, but then once everything gets wet, yeah, it starts to just kind of seep into everything, and you're like, okay, are my headphones going to die? Is my phone going to die? My shoes are heavy. I'm going to get a rash. You know, the whole thing just kind of goes downhill. So keeping my head out the window here, seeing if we get some breakage soon so I can get out. But who knows? It's kind of nice, though. You know, uh, everyone keeps telling me the summers in Chicago are hot, but at least the last week, it's been pretty mild. I like it. I mean, humid, but it's like 68 degrees right now. I'll, I'll take it. You know, that's why I want to go out and run. That sounds perfect. But anyways, um, today I got a couple things. Mainly international stuff. It seems like the trend has been International Fridays, so maybe I'll stick to that. Um, but basically, I want to give my thoughts on Brittany Griner and the idea of a prisoner swap, why I'm against a prisoner swap, and I'm going to have some less popular opinions that may, may irritate some listeners, but I think they're realistic about kind of the, the reaction to her detainment from the U.S. media and public figures, which I don't think is actually true. And then I also want to just talk about a few other stories, such as John Bolton, who's always a character. He's admitted, basically, to being involved in coups, and he was kind of bragging about it. So I want to talk about that and why it's really bad for our image around the world, all jokes aside, and just a few other stories as well. So before we get into the main topics, I want to touch on, first, Ivana Trump, not Ivanka, Ivana Trump, she died. She died yesterday. Uh, She was the first wife of Donald. And kind of from what I've gathered, obviously, I wasn't alive when they were married, but they were kind of a power couple that really defined the excessive glamour of the New York City social scene. And she was the mother to Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump Jr., and Eric. Obviously, Trump, I guess, was having an affair with Marla Marples, who, Maples, sorry, who became his second wife. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much else to say about that, but I just thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting just when I was reading the article. Trump definitely has a type. He definitely has a type. Like, I was, I was looking up Ivana and then Marla and then, you know, um, what's her name, Melania. And they're all, like, they all have the same summary, basically. It's, like, socialite, TV presenter, model, and, like, advocate or something. Like, they, he definitely has a type. That's all I'm going to say. Um, moving on, Joe Manchin has has uh, striked again. <laughs> they say lightning doesn't stri- strike twice, but I think in Joe Manchin's case it has. And he has basically said he will not support parts of Biden's climate agenda. And from what I've gathered, this means that pretty much a lot of Biden's domestic goals have been shut down. This again reminds me that, you know, everyone wants to uh, blame Biden's domestic goals. They want to blame Biden for everything, which I guess it's easy to do. He's the president. But the reality is, is that this is just a numbers game when you really think about it, right? The Senate just doesn't have the numbers for a lot of the agenda that Biden and them want. That's kind of the big, it's kind of the big issue here. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, I mean, I also think it should be a learning moment for the more progressive side of the Democratic Party is that you can't have these bold goals when you don't have, when you have a basically a 50-50 Senate and you need the vice president to break the tie, especially when you have people like Joe Manchin as well. Anyways, the 
New York Times writes that Manchin informed his party's leaders that he would not support funding for climate or energy programs or raising taxes on wealthy Americans and corporations. <sighs> I've... <laughs> I've read the Democratic officials are just furious because, you know, they've been really bending over backwards for months to try to get something done. And, you know, they're trying to, they've been trying to work with Manchin. They've been trying to work with Manchin. They've scaled back a lot of their goals, yet he still just seems like maybe he's going to go along and then doesn't, basically. And, yeah, I could understand why you'd be irritating. I also don't think Chuck Schumer and some of them are actually that good at their job either. But we're not going to get into that, um... Now, according to the Times, Manchin, in quotes, said his decision came just days after a report showed that prices surged to 9.1% in June, exacerbating uh, existing fears about inflation and rising costs for everyday Americans. But while Mr. Manchin has long sounded alarms about inflation and the national debt, he also maintained openness to overhauling the tax code, a position he appeared to have reversed. So it's really hard to understand these things, but again, it's really hard to understand Manchin, like, I don't really know what this guy wants. I can understand that maybe this is not the best time to overhaul our tax system, especially with inflation and all the uncertainty, especially because it'll just be demagogued by the Tucker Carlson's of the world. So I get it in a sense. But at the same time, like, if not now, when? Also, Biden needs some sort of accomplishments, you know. Sadly, uh, sadly, it just seems like Biden really could be a lame duck president, especially if all these all these issues keep getting quashed. But I saw somewhere, I think it was on Twitter, someone said um, <laughs> a lot of people think that Manchin only cares about his family and his pocketbook. And, you know, the more we see about him, the more that seems true. So, yeah, <laughs> more bad news for Biden, I guess. But luckily he's overseas right now, so maybe he won't get the news yet. No, I'm kidding. He will. But I'm sure most of you by now have seen this, but I just wanted to share it again, give some thoughts because it's wild. Moving on, John Bolton, the war hawk, warmongerer, hardcore neocon, whatever you want to call him, former national security advisor to Trump, which was always ironic to me because Trump is not like a big interventionalist, but then he had John Bolton, who's like interventionalist number one. But anyways, we always knew that he was an architect for the invasion of Iraq. He was really anti-working with Iran, warmonger with Iran as well. He's been involved in numerous things since the 80s. And <laughs> he seems to have actually finally said the quiet part out loud, which is just hilarious and dark and disturbing, but kind of funny, kind of bad. Um, I'm going to play some of his interview with Jake Tapper, where he basically just admits to orchestrating coups around the world. Not in the United States. So he did make it clear he was not involved in the Trump attempt. But uh, yeah, I'll comment on the other side. It's lovely. understand the nature of what the problem of Donald Trump is. He's, to use a Star Wars metaphor, a disturbance in the force. And it's not an attack on our democracy. It's Donald Trump looking out for Donald Trump. It's a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. I don't know that I agree with you, to be, to be uh, fair, with all due respect. Uh, one doesn't have to be brilliant to attempt a coup. Uh, I disagree with that. As somebody who has helped plan coup d'etat, yeah. not here, but you know, other places, uh, it takes a lot of work. And that's not what he did. It was just stumbling around from one idea to another. Ultimately, he did unleash the rioters at the Capitol. As to that, there's no doubt. 
but not to overthrow the Constitution, to buy more time to throw the matter back to the states to try and redo the issue. And you, you cited your expertise having planned coups. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but... Uh, Successful coups? Well, I wrote about Venezuela in, uh, in the book, and uh, it, it turned out not to be successful. Not that we had all that much to do with it, but I saw what it took for an opposition to try and overturn an illegally elected president, and they failed. So, yeah, a lot, a lot to talk about there. First, I just want to say before I get into the coup stuff, I also think he just has a really weak argument about what happened on January 6th, right? Like he's saying that Trump and them were too stupid and the coup didn't work and it was more about Trump's ego. Look, like I understand what he's saying, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter what the intention was because they did almost cause a coup. It doesn't really matter if the coup fails or succeeds. They still did something that seemed to be a coup. But anyways, if, you, <clears throat> if you've actually watched the video, you can see that Jake Tapper just looks... I don't want to say shocked, but you can see like his eyes, like he, he kind of just almost sits back for a second when when uh, when Bolton mentions the the coup d'etats, because you know I I think he's like fuck this guy just said this like like I would be shocked too you know that's not what you're expecting but man when I first heard that I'm just like wow Bolton is bold bold Bolton he's uh, yeah so Jake Tapper is just kind of processing that for a minute and. I think what's interesting is usually Tapper's pretty good at pushing back. Like, he's probably the only person on CNN that I would actually watch as a really credible journalist, in my opinion. But, yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty quiet on this one. But, anyways, Bolton is, I kind of want to say awful. I don't know if that's the right word, but I just wanted to make that clear, though. Because the fact he just feels like it's okay to say this calmly and almost jokes about it is stunning to me. There's a lot of reasons, obviously, why that's stunning. But my issue here is that it's really bad for our overseas image and bad for kind of the image of democracy that even if it sometimes isn't right, the one that we're trying to portray to the world. And it backs up the point that many of America's enemies and allies alike have made about us for generations. You know, it basically highlights that the U.S. is not always a good actor in the world and it's not useful in bringing maybe hesitant countries and on, you know, to work with us, basically. And the Washington Post has a good article about this. It discusses how there's a lot of world leaders that have already responded to this clip. I guess the clip's gone viral, not just here in the U.S., but all over the world. And, you know, it, it, I guess it makes sense when you think about what this means to other countries, especially maybe countries where we've helped them overthrow someone, um, like Evo Morales, uh, the former president of Bolivia, who was ousted back in 2019 by the military and under kind of murky election claims. He tweeted that the remarks showed that the United States was, in quotes, the worst enemy of democracy and life. Then there's Maria Zakharova, excuse me, the spokesperson for the Russian foreign ministry. She called on Thursday for an investigation, basically, into Bolton's remarks. And she added that we must know what places the U.S. has done this in. The Chinese foreign ministry spokesman Wang Wenbin said there, this is no surprise. The admission simply shows that interfering in other countries' internal affairs and overthrowing their governments has become the standard practice of the U.S. government. This is very much part of the U.S. rulebook. So this is the worst thing possible, in my opinion, <laughs> because our foes such as Putin and Xi Jinping can use this for propaganda purposes, right? I mean, Putin has already tried to lie about the U.S. and how we're involved in foreign elections. He said that we're just helping Ukraine try to overthrow him, right? Like, that's been one of his talking points since he invaded Ukraine. 
Now he has a clip of Bolton saying the quiet part out loud, and it's just ridiculous. And, you know, China needs allies around the world, right? This can really help them maybe sway countries to join them instead of us. They can say, hey, well, you know, the U.S. is going to try to overthrow your government if it's seen as leftist or far right, usually leftist, but, and it's just not good. Another guy, uh, Larry Diamond from the Stanford University Hoover Institution said in quotes, it's, it's damaging to our efforts to advance and support democracy. We have enough trouble already countering Russian and Chinese propaganda. And I think that just nails it, right? Now, other people on the more neocon side have, I don't want to say defended Bolton, but they've said he was exaggerating or joking, and maybe he was just talking about Venezuela. But I don't know about you guys, but I think, I think he... I think he's been involved in some coup d'etat, as he says. Just a wild video. Also, like I said, just a poor defense of why January 6th wasn't that bad uh, as well. So, interesting stuff. Moving on, I want to talk about Brittany Griner. I'm sure most people are aware of who she is by now. It's been definitely covered in the news. Um, she's the women's basketball player who has been held in Russia, in my opinion, as a likely hostage. Before we go into the recent updates and my thoughts on the whole thing and kind of this skewed overreaction by the left and mainstream media and public figures, I do want to just talk about kind of what's happened, just, just in case you haven't been following the story completely. So on February 17, 2022, Griner was arrested on drug charges in Russia. Basically, I mean, this is ridiculous, but it was after Russian authorities found she was carrying a vaporizer containing hash oil. So like a vape pen for weed, right? And of course, the timing is pretty convenient because this happened right when the invasion of Ukraine started. And former Pentagon officials do think that I think Putin's goal is to be is to use her as a high profile hostage, right? To add more context, she plays for the Phoenix Mercury for the WNBA. As, as far as I'm, as I can gather, quite a good female basketball player, like definitely one of the top ones. Um, but she also plays in Russia during the offseason. And so from what I've gathered, she was entering Russia to go to her sports team, which is in a place that I am not going to try to pronounce. I apologize. But she was detained. They found the vape pen. Now, early on, some people thought maybe there really was no vape pen. It was just, I mean, I, you know, the Russian... Russian law enforcement could probably find anything they want. You know what I mean? But it, it's looking like they, she actually did have it on her now. So honestly, I, I will say that there is a real conversation to be had about pay in women's sports because she probably wouldn't need to be playing in Russia during the offseason if she was paid enough in the WNBA. But that's not the focus of this episode. I don't want to open up that can of worms right now. But Starting in July, they've held, actually late June, early July, they've held closed door hearings and apparently her detention has been extended for six months, which obviously is dependent on the outcome of this trial. But I've also seen reports that she's really struggling. She's not being treated well. Uh, her cell is quite small. She's obviously a, a big person and apparently she's been pretty uncomfortable in her cell. The worst part of this too is that she could end up in prison for 10 years if things do not go well which is just ridiculous for having a vape pen. Now, I mean, I guess to be devil's advocate is she probably should have known not to bring that into Russia, but we'll get into why she did in a little bit, or at least her case for why she did. I mean, 
I don't know, if I was flying to like Singapore, for example, which has really strict drug laws, like they actually have the death penalty, um, I would not bring some edibles with me. I would not bring a vape pen. I would not even consider it just because you don't want that risk. You don't want to be locked up in a country with very authoritarian drug laws. That's just my opinion. But today I did read in the Washington Post in quotes here, lawyers for WNBA star Brittany Griner told a Russian court that doctors in the United States prescribed her medical cannabis for chronic pain as the player faced her fourth day in trial on drug charges. The article also mentions that one of her attorneys did read a medical certificate indicating that Griner was prescribed medical weed cannabis by U.S. doctors as part of her treatment. And so I guess the trial was then adjourned until late July. And so there's a lot of questions here around this. My question, though, is whether Russian authorities will care, because even if she was prescribed cannabis by a doctor in the United States, Russia is, is a different country. Um, they're really strict towards weed. So I don't know if that will actually matter at all, but it does actually now potentially explain why she thought she could bring it. Again, I probably wouldn't have, but also it does look like she actually did have it and it wasn't just planted. Again, who knows, to be completely honest, because we have to remember this is all coming out of Russia. But like just, just with the facts of the case, my heart really does go out to her because just, it just sounds like a shitty situation. But where I want to go today with this is I want to discuss kind of the reaction in the U.S. and kind of clarify some things because I'm, I'm getting sick of seeing stuff on social media, basically. And I kind of want to explain why a lot of opinions I've seen are, in my opinion, wrong and placing blame on the wrong side. I also want to talk about this guy, Victor Bout, who is the Russian arms dealer that Putin may want to get in exchange for uh, re releasing Brittany Griner. I would start by saying that over the last few months, I've seen people on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that, post things like, this would not have happened if she was a white male, or if she was LeBron James, uh, she would be out. She's a black athlete, and no one cares about her, um, about getting her back, stuff like that. And it just seems like everywhere I look on social media, on ESPN, tweets from public figures, everyone is blaming this issue on American society, the Biden administration, American officials, it's, it, it's America's fault that she's still there, basically. And I just cannot express how wrong this view is, not only because it's showing no understanding of why she's still detained, but it's also putting blame on America while the true blame should be on Putin, right? Let's be honest here. He's a genocidal monster who has approved the bombing of schools and hospitals recently. The amount of just insane bombing and just retconning of history that he's doing. He's the bad guy. He's the one that clearly wants to hold her. He's the one that's created a state that even allows a 10-year sentence for these charges. We need to get our priorities straight and not put the blame on the Biden administration, on American society, because that's just not what this is. And what really made me want to discuss this is when the Phoenix Mercury's coach, who's Vanessa Nygaard, mentioned LeBron James, basically, while speaking about Griner's situation. She said in quotes, if it, if it was LeBron, he'd be home, right? It's a statement about the value of women. It's a statement about the value of a black person. It's a statement about the value of a gay person. All of those. We know it. End quotes. And then LeBron James also is quoted saying, in quotes, Now, how can she feel like America has her back? I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? End quotes. And now look, like, I understand the sentiment. I, I guess. 
it does look like she is being neglected. It, it really does. And of course, you know, you have a gay black woman. And so it's kind of, I guess it's kind of easy to really look at that and say, yeah, people just don't care about her. The administration has bigger priorities. And I, I, I get the sentiment of that, but I think it's wrong. First off, I actually think that if LeBron was being held there, it would be worse. <laughs> he is one of the most famous people on the planet. And if Putin could hold LeBron, he would probably think that he'd have even more leverage and would not let LeBron go without either a huge payment or the transfer of multiple Russians being detained. Because we have to think about it. I mean, LeBron's up there with like Michael Jordan and Messi and Ronaldo and like that high profile of a person, it would be much worse for him to get out. So I do not buy the idea that if it was LeBron, they would have got him out by there. Like what is the Biden administration supposed to do? Also, also his comment about not even wanting to come back is insane. I mean, he's flourished here. Like, obviously, the United States has a lot of issues, especially right now. But it, it's ridiculous to say maybe she doesn't even want to come back. <laughs> you ask the people in Ukraine right now what they think probably about coming to the United States. Ask an immigrant. Anyways, um, second, what is Biden supposed to do? I, I've kind of alluded to this already, but... Russia is, is not exactly cooperating with the West on anything right now. And they are kind of invading a sovereign country and killing a plethora of innocent people. So I'm sure the State Department and the Biden administration are focused on getting her back. But she's in a hostile country that is completely shut off from the West right now. So what, is, what are they actually supposed to do? Unless they want to escalate tensions or do a prisoner swap. Because that's all there is. Like, it's not just like, oh, she's a black gay woman, so we're not going to focus on this. And this is, again, where we try to apply America's culture war to issues that are foreign to us, we don't understand, and just don't apply. And that's what I think we're seeing here. Let's talk about this Victor Bout guy, because he's the one that, if they were going to do a prisoner swap, it would probably be him for Griner. And there's, there's the angle that they probably shouldn't let this guy go also, which a lot of people don't talk about because we don't have nuance anymore in this country. But he's an atrocious individual and a dangerous one as well. Uh, he's known as the merchant of death and or the sanctions buster for his reported wide-reaching operations, extensive clientele, and willingness to basically bypass embargoes. And he's, he's indirectly and directly responsible for, for probably tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of deaths. Just to give some examples of his work for his uh, lovely CV, he was arrested in Thailand on terrorism charges back in the early 2000s. He was accused of intending to smuggle arms to the FARC, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, for use against U.S. forces. He was also convicted by a jury in Manhattan of attempting to kill U.S. citizens and officials. He was delivering anti-aircraft missiles and providing aid to terrorist groups in the Middle East. What else here? He was involved in arming some of the worst conflicts in Africa, such as in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and the Dem Democratic Republic of the Congo. He's one of those guys who's responsible for death on both sides of these civil wars. He, he supplied both sides in the Angolan Civil War. He was suspected of supplying Charles Taylor with arms for the first um, uh, Liberian Civil War, which was very bloody. Um, he has a network allegedly which delivered surface-to-air missiles to Kenya to be used to attack an Israeli airliner. He also has ties to Hezbollah. Like, damn, he's, he has an impressive resume, I guess, if you're in the extreme terrorism community. Um, he actually inspired that Nicolas Cage movie, Lord of War, which I actually remember watching and quite liked. 
I might actually rewatch that this weekend. It's been a long time, but yeah, he uh, he's a busy guy, and so he was convicted by a by a federal court in Manhattan and is being held in a penitentiary in the United States for 25 years. He, I'll I'll get into some of the maybe other side of it in a little bit, but from my understanding. The only way a prisoner swap could happen to get Griner back is if we let this guy go in exchange. And to be honest, this guy, in my opinion, should not be free. He's, he's been involved or responsible for some of the worst violence and sectarian conflicts over the last 30 years. And is this a guy we really want out there? Now, I will say he's older now. Apparently his health is deteriorating, so I don't know if he'd just get right back to fueling all these problems. But that's not the point. And this may irritate some people, but this guy is responsible for the blood of thousands, and it's really tough to say that it's a good idea to let him go for one person. Now, this is kind of my utilitarian side, like the greatest good here. One person or a guy who's killed thousands of people needs to be held accountable. It's really tough. And also just imagine the criticism the Biden administration would get for letting this swap happen. A guy associated with illegal weapons sales and arming terrorists. Now, I, I guess I'll be fair and give the other side, just, just while we're talking about it, is there is an AP article I was reading, I think it came out yesterday, and it says that some believe he was arrest on, arrested on trumped-up charges and has already done his time. The former New York City federal judge, Shira Schneidlin, who sentenced him, actually says she thinks he's served his time, and she said she would not be dis- disappointed if he's part of the prisoner exchange. Apparently, like I said, his health is deteriorating and Russia has beefed up their propaganda saying he's a human rights case who's being held against his will in the United States on false charges. It's difficult to really disseminate what is right or wrong. But again, I've looked at multiple articles. I've dug around on his, his record. I don't think it's trumped up charges when, he's, when there's all these different reports from around the world. Like, even if some of them are true, it's bad enough, you know, and... The, uh, the prosecutors did note, so the, like this article is, um, I, I don't like this article. I think the AP does a little bit too much both sides on this one because it also mentions that the prosecutors said he was ready to sell up to $20 million in weapons to shoot down U.S. helicopters, and, and he has quite an impressive paper trail. It also mentions, so I don't know why they're giving all this argument that maybe he should be let go. Now, going back to Griner. It is a horrific situation, again, like I've said, because the St. Louis Post-Dispatch said, oh, on July 10th, I believe it was, in quotes, both illegally trafficked billions of, uh, sorry, about illegally tracked billions of dollars of weapons to feed wars around the world and has the blood of thousands on his hands, while Griner made a mistake with a tiny amount of cannabis. She harmed no one. And look, this really, this really is. She's an unfortunate victim of this geopolitical war and threat to democracy we're seeing. But I just don't know how to resolve this because it's just not an equal swap. And again, call me out. Maybe I sound really cold on this, but I just don't see this as a good idea. And also, again, we're just appeasing Putin and giving him back someone who should not be free. So again, I I just think the conversation is, again, people trying to apply American issues on the American culture war to a foreign issue that it just doesn't apply correctly to. I also just wanted to say, 
while this tense debate is going on, things in Ukraine are still quite chaotic. You know, you have um, CNN reporting today that uh, Vladimir Zelensky urged the international community to designate Russia as a terrorist state. This is following a strike in the Ukrainian town of Vinitsha that killed at least 23 people. Also, the city of Mykolaiv in uh, southern Ukraine was hit by 10 strikes overnight. So I don't know if the dialogue is going to be getting better anytime soon. Um, they're also talking about now, you know, like these food shortages I keep mentioning are getting nothing but worse. So now there's conversations about like, how do we start getting some of the grain out? And people are talking about potentially opening up the Black Sea or trying to get it into Poland, Romania, other places like that. I don't know if the Biden administration is ready to spearhead that yet just because it could put us into a direct confrontation with Russia. But again, we need to get some of this grain out. Like, I, I, I hate to say it, but we do. Um, and we need to find a way to do it because we're going to have a huge starvation crisis. And we already do in some places. And the, the other thing I wanted to say is I was listening to Eric Edelman, who's a foreign policy guy. He has a podcast called uh, Shield of the Republic, which I highly recommend. And they were taught him and his guest, whose name's escaping me right now, were talking about kind of the scenarios Russia has. You know, they talked about how at first it seemed like Russia was just going to kind of level, uh, kind of like the blitzkrieg scenario of the former Yugoslavia during World War II, where Germany pretty much just took out the government in a few days. That was the first thing we thought. Then we thought Ukraine could win. Now it's looking like Russia's really struggling. And there's the winter war back where Stalin, I think in 39, invaded Finland and wanted to take it. The people stood up, kept the Russians out, won the first round of it. Then Stalin comes back in and, you know, it becomes kind of a war of attrition. But um, actually, Finland, unfortunately, had to sue for peace, basically. And so they lost some territory to Russia. And Edelman makes the point that actually it seems like the opposite. Like this could end up like the Winter War, except Russia's the one who has to sue for peace because they're in a place where they're just trying to hold on to some of the territories that they thought they could easily take. So this is kind of looking like the winter war except inverse. And it's really interesting to me because I don't think anyone assumed this would happen, but Russia's not in a great place right now. And it looks like they're gonna have to try to sue for peace eventually and just try to hold on to something. Because remember, sanctions don't just happen overnight. Like Russia's slowly gonna see the inability to actually repair stuff. And I think their economy could see some more issues. Now there's the other scenario, the 1905 scenario, which is where, which was the, the, um, the Japanese-Russian war. I don't know a lot about it, but that's also one that they talk about could be, I got a, something loud out there. But um, anyways, that's another one that they, that they mention where basically kind of due to racism and xenophobia, the Russian military thought that they could just easily go into Japan and win. And, in, and instead, they underestimated Japan's strength, lost a lot of Russians. Um, the economy went to shit. There was a lot of death. And a lot of people think this was one of the, the precursors to the Russian Revolution because of the discontent and the czar's decisions to wage this costly war. There's a lot of parallels we could see with that where I don't know if a Russian Revolution could happen again just because Putin has such a grasp on the state and he's still relatively popular, especially using propaganda. So it's really tough. I don't, I don't have a final thought on that. Anyways, the last thing I wanted to say, I will add that I have the TV on in the background and Biden has made it to Saudi Arabia. While there, he will discuss oil prices, among other things, with um, the de facto ruler, Mohammed bin Salman. I'm disappointed he's there. I am disappointed he's there. I know he has to go there. Fuel prices are insane. 
I just saw him on TV fist bump uh, with with Mohammed bin Salman, which is honestly I can already see the pictures are not going to look good for Biden. The picture of them fist bumping, but I, I think it's irritating and somewhat ironic that the right wing media is pissed off about this because Trump was really close with Saudi Arabia. Trump definitely went there to kiss the ring a lot of times, and I I know Biden called the country a pariah state, and we and, and we honestly should force them to maintain a ceasefire in Yemen, and we should hold them accountable for what they've done in Yemen, and we should make sure that they don't get too hawkish against Iran. But it's not like Biden's the only guy to go to Saudi Arabia, right? It's a shame, but as I like to say, nothing's more American than death, taxes, and kissing Saudi Arabia's ass. Um, anyways, yeah, I'll probably talk about that next week a little bit as well. But anyways, thanks for listening today. Have a great weekend. Uh, hope you can get out and just enjoy the, enjoy the summer vibes. And you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Podbean, all that jazz, yada, yada, yada. Take care.